Mike, um, and today I've got you know I got all four guys with me. Um, I'm actually hosting, so no no jokes about me not being here. Um, got a pretty exciting week, man. I, as you guys know, we've got two comics we we're gonna talk about that were uh, recent releases. I guess last Wednesday, not this past one, but the one before that. Um, oddly enough, we got uh, two two polar opposite colored characters here um, with the same typical same vibe, though I'd say. I mean, we got we got the White Knight Moon Knight, and we got um, the Dark Knight Batman. So, I don't know about you guys, but um, before we get into those, how are you guys doing? Hanging in I'm there. Fabulous. Another fine week. Another fine week. That's right. That's right. Another beautiful week to be alive. Um, do you guys have a preference? What do you want to talk about first? I don't have a preference. We can discuss either or. Batman. All right. Well, well we're going to discuss them both. So, I mean, yeah, right? It doesn't matter. I don't know. Um. I guess we'll, uh, we can, yeah, let's do Batman. Let's start off with Batman, annual number two, um, written by Tom King, of course, with artwork by Lee Weeks. I think there was someone else, Michael Lark was on there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, annuals, like, I don't know about you guys, but I typically avoid them just because it's like, oh, fifth week in a month. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this annuals probably doesn't tie into the rest of the stories. Yeah. Screw it. I'm not going to read it. It's a waste of money, typically. <laughs> yeah, it's five bucks an issue, so, yeah. I mean like six for canadians so i mean it's uh you know it's a pretty big thing uh, it, they are they are bigger books but again they don't tie into the main story so you're like oh i'll take a pass but we didn't this time no nope. we ventured into those waters and we're not just the only ones if you look at it you know diamond sold out of this before it even went to distribution wow yeah it's already going for second printing yeah and we discovered that because michael goes oh i already have it and we all went what you have a batman book <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like it was surprised that I had one in my hand. Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, man, it's a hot book." I'm like, "Oh, it is. All it right. is really hot. I'll be damned." Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I guess Tom King's got that magic touch. He now. does. Mm-hmm. Hell of a writer. Hell of a writer. Yeah. That guy. <laughs> now this book, they, like, okay, I haven't been into you know Batman in a while. I normally don't read new Batman like at all. I'm all about older Batman. Um. Uh, and I think a problem that most really not really all about it, but I mean, if I am into any Batman, it's gonna be older if I Batman. I'm gonna read a Batman book. It's Nightfall. Yeah, yeah, it's something yeah. older, Death in the Family, something. But Long uh, Halloween. Yeah, exactly. But um, something that this book did that I haven't gotten from like a newer like big two comic in a while was this kind of hit you in the feels like throughout different parts of the book. It, there were different parts where I was just like, okay, I'm actually feeling like, you know, uh, sympathetic towards the situation, the situation. And um, I know well, let's just discuss the situation. Yeah. Let's not beat her on the bush. It, it, the book's been out for a couple of weeks at this point. Let's discuss it. Okay. Yeah. So, no, well, j- just real quick, Alex, I got to say, if you ever want to get, you know, sympathetic and emotional Batman since like new 52, especially Batman and Robin, I'm sure oh. you know, Matt can attest to oh. this. Oh, you will you will be quivering sometimes. There, Batman's been pretty good with making you sympathetic. I think in the past like six years. Yeah, it's like the whole uh, Court of Owl stuff and everything. That's when to me when it started to really, I think, pick yeah, up more there's, steam. There, there's tons of scenes with Alfred where you're just like, oh, your heart just melts, or like Damien, and st- it's great. But anyway, yeah, let's let's get into the heart of the matter here. Um, Batman Annual Number Two. Go ahead, Alex. I, I apologize. No, it's okay. Talking. So you know, this book is basically about. Uh, you know, uh, the cat and the bat getting together 
and um, their future as he grows older, which is just something that's, I don't know, you don't really think about. You have, you know, your old uh, alternate reality stories of Bruce being old or whatever when he really should be old. But this actually goes into it and it shows like a future Bruce that like he's not the sharp tool that he once was. It's like a reality, like, you know, uh, even though this is good now, good things aren't going to last for forever. And uh, that was something that, you know, it really struck home because, you know, like I said, you have different like universes or, you know, versions of Batman or whatever. I guess this is regular version Batman. This is like mainline and it's just like, oh, this is him getting old. This is him. I mean, falling to Alzheimer's, dementia, whatever you want it to be, it doesn't really specify. And it was, it was great. I really, you know, uh, overall, I just liked seeing that it wasn't just like, bam, bam, catch the villain, done. It was something a little more for, you know, an annual, like an annual should be. It's not a traditional comic story. Yeah, I mean, I... I really like how it came full circle with the start and the ending, how she, um, you know, she stole the Batmobile first and left like the little mouse for him. And then at the end, he, you know, after he passes, he, she finds that note with the cat. Um, I mean, that was just, yeah, it was, it was an emotional roller coaster. And I think like, I know, I know Matt who has stepped away for a second. He said that, um, he, he thought the first half was boring. Which I mean, I disagree with, but I can sort of understand. I I liked the I thought the artwork was nice. I was I'm a fan of Lee Weeks, and I I liked what he was doing. But I mean, without that first half of them always constantly chasing each other and mm-hmm. and just like the whole conversation between them of making one another better, um, that end wouldn't have had that impact, in my opinion. Oh, completely yeah. agree. And I can say I, I enjoyed this, you know, from cover to back. You know, just the simple little things. You know, how she's jumps out of wayne manor and she's already called the cops and she knows that he's not oh, gonna yeah. follow you know there's a line in here that i absolutely love you know you know basically where is it at here you steal things you're a criminal and being a mass vigilante of the night that's completely legal you know a lot of great writing in this yeah. and the banter going back and forth through the issue about how they first met because they can never yep. agree until his deathbed you know yeah. how they met and when you get into that middle of that uh the storyline there you know, where it basically goes later. It doesn't tell you how much later, it just says later. And then as you're reading to it, it's like, oh, whoa, this is much later. A lot of great little subtle writing things in there as well. But like you said, Mike, the art in here. You know, you guys, do you guys have uh, hard copies or digital copies? Uh, digital. Digital. Yeah. That is, this is, that's one of the bad things about digital, I think, is because when you look at the middle page where you got the staples in between, and you have the full page spread of the two yeah. of them on the roof, and you're looking at that art yeah. all together on one page. It's like, and it's very simple. Oh, yeah. You know, they're on a roof with rain, but there's emotion in it, and it's just a lot of stuff going on in there. And it's just, it's beautiful, really well written, drawn, yeah. inked, everything. I, I cannot say not one bad thing about this issue. Yeah, I mean, Tom King, the way he wrote the banner between them was perfect. Like, the, there's that scene near the end where they're both walking and, and they just got out of the doctor's office with the bad news that um, that Bruce is dying. And there he's telling her this story and he, like, gets caught up on one part and she finishes it for him. Like, he's told her that story so many times already. I mean, it's it, it's just little things like that that's, um, oh, just make me happy. I mean, we get to see, like, their their kid and what she's up to. 
and yeah i mean it was there's so many little things that that tom king just gets about these characters and does such a great job of you know in a single panel with a single word bubble making you realize you know like she's her daughter has to go because she sees a bad signal and she's like yeah don't worry i you know who your father is right i'm used to this yeah you know and i think uh that puts us all in agreement that uh we all like this book through and through except for tap tap's the only one you're alone well yeah what you can't say that i didn't like it <laughs> i'm just messing with you i'm just we're, we're, i'm messing with you brother no the the first half was boring i'm not gonna lie it was it was it, i understand why like okay after finishing it i have a new appreciation for it because i see what they were doing it was building up to the climax in the second half that hit you right in the field so like after reading it, I have a new appreciation. But initially, reading it for the first time, not knowing anything about this issue, the first half, it was just very boring. There wasn't anything really going on. It was just a lot about Batman and Catwoman. Like, there wasn't really anything happening. And I'm like, okay, what? Right. what is going on? Like, I don't... I, I wasn't a fan of the first half. And I'm like, there's nothing happening. And then, you know, you get the big reveal, and it hits you right in the feels, and then you go, oh, mother he did it again mm-hmm. first he got me with yeah. batman number five and then he gets yeah, me I... again with batman annual two number two yeah and then on I, top I, I of it like mike was saying i've been reading uh the batman and robin omni uh by peter tomasi and patrick gleason and dude like talk about a book that hits you in the feels over and over and over again like multiple times throughout this 1200 page book i like you know the story yeah. the story is super old so i'm just going to discuss one issue cuz it's a super old story but the two-face issue mike i know you know exactly what i'm talking about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so in this book you guys it's so i'm just going to tell you guys i know you guys probably won't read it so <laughs> basically um two-face is like struggling i guess you could say with the with his two personalities and you know whatnot and so like there's like this little arc where he's sort of like the main villain for a while and then it kind of ends and um they kind of like show him in bed and every morning he wakes up he flips his coin like heads he lives tails he puts a gun to his head and plays russian roulette and so after like this whole like kind of sad arc and stuff you know he's there's like flashbacks to his wife and how he met his wife through Bruce and there's all this history and stuff and they kind of build up to it. And then they show him like standing in front of a mirror, looking at himself in the mirror with like pictures of his wife in the background and stuff, puts the gun to his head, pulls the trigger. And then the next panel just blood splatter everywhere. And then like the next like few issues is everybody talking about how two Face is missing and he's gone off the map and it's like, no, he committed suicide in his house. Like it's, it's fucking dark. Like it's, it's real, real dark. And when I was reading New Fifty Two, I've said this a million times. I'm not gonna keep going into it, but um, a lot of the New Fifty Two books I read were very happy. I guess you could say like they weren't dark. You know what I mean? They kind of had like a, like a anybody can pick this up and read it. Kind of like kids '90s type feel. I don't know. It just it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It just didn't feel dark though. It felt fun. Um, and so I had, but I'd never read Batman and Robin, and apparently there's some other Batman stuff that leads into the leads into Batman mm-hmm. and Robin that I haven't read that I need to go back and read. Um, yeah. 
But I'm just, oh, holy crap, dude. You want to talk about a character yeah. that hits you in the feels over and over and over again? It's yeah. Batman. Yeah, you um, you also talked to me about that issue where um, where him and Alfred basically keep doing that simulation. Oh my over god, and over again dude! It of the day Damien tears died. you apart. Is... So like, yeah. Damien dies. He's murdered, right? And so Batman is like in the Batcave, like reliving everything through this like VR simulation to see if like it, different choices. If I could have done things differently, would it have saved Damien? You know, type thing. And he just keeps like thousands of times going through this. And then finally there's like a simulation where like he saves him um, with uh, Dick comes in and they both kind of jump in together and they do the simulation. Um, and Alfred keeps telling like, sir, you need to quit doing this. It's just eating at you. You, you. you just need to stop basically. And so Batman's like, maybe you're right. So he gets up and leaves and then Alfred grabs the thing and puts it on and has a simulation of because he let Damien go to help out Batman. He's like part of the reason why, like he told Batman, like, oh, Damien tricked me. But really, he let Damien go. So he's like, well, if I didn't let you go, would things have been different? And so then you just, <laughs> I'm going to tear up right now. It's fucking sad. So then you just, <laughs> then you just see Alfred, like this old film. And Patrick Gleason's art is a astonishing it's keep this in mind as well the art the pictures that are being painted are beautiful and you have alfred sitting in this thing reliving these moments now and it's just so incredibly fucking sad it's <laughs> it's ridiculous but it's so good yeah highly recommended to people yeah it is probably one of the best omnis i think i've read in well ever i mean it's up there like animal man i think for me um it's so incredibly good. I'm actually I have 200 pages to go. I'm hoping to get it done like within the next night or so. But so incredibly good. Yeah, yeah. That's why I love Batman. You get all the emotions, all of them. Every single but last one. Speaking of different emotions and possibly multiple personalities, Moon Knight 189. So I I know last time we talked about Moon Knight 188. Some of us were on the fence. You know, some of us, most of us, though, were saying, we'll give the next one a shot, see where it goes. Um, I mean, I was pretty sold on it, but um, we got the next issue, guys. We did. And I will say, the artwork, still great. Mm -hmm. Still reminds me of Crust. And the cover was the is, same not, lot, is not a lie to us this time, right? right? No, no, the no. cover's not a bull. <laughs> the cover's actually really line. well done. Yeah. I like the cover. Yeah. yeah, no, the cover is not a bold face lie. Now, I'm going to say this first and foremost before we get into anything. This is not your typical Marvel book, okay? It's a little more uh, gruesome to not have the uh, Max label on it, people getting set on fire, and uh, everything else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. I mean, it reminds me more of an independent book. Almost. Yeah, it really does. I'm gonna say that right now. This reminds me way more of like something that you would see at, like we've said before, with the I don't know, maybe it's just the cross thing, like an Avatar, or you know, maybe um, Image, uh, something along those lines. Even Devils Do, I could see it at that. But um, I don't, I don't really see this as like a typical Marvel title. Yeah. Well, I don't even and, think Lemire's run was necessarily a typical Marvel title right. either. I mean, it may not have been as as violent, but it was definitely quite the 
the mind fuck, you know. I don't think that it was. I don't know. I think Moon Knight's just one of those characters, you know. It's kind of like Batman. There's a lot of dark, darkness to it, and uh, yeah, the way Max is writing in this though, um, I'm digging it. I'm really, yeah, really, really digging it. Um, I really love the way he's using the multiple personalities. Yes. It's fantastic. I think he's how he goes to like work at like on Wall Street one as one guy. I I don't know. I'm not. Yes. Like, I thought I'd read a lot of Moon Knight, but I didn't know that. I don't think anyone's ever done this sort of thing. Yeah, not to um, my knowledge. And yeah. you got uh, the Jake Lockley character, mm-hmm. the personality, oh, yeah. I should say. Um, yeah. And it's like you don't want to meet Jake. And then I like it like when he switches personalities <laughs> as Moon Knight because like when he becomes Jake, he like lifts the mask right. up and it's almost like yeah. a half mask, <laughs> like Zorro yeah. sorta. Yeah. And he's just yeah, brutal. Yeah, I'm 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 a huge fan of how the multiple personality things being used in this uh in this run so far. And I like how Cone Shoe's kind of narrating. Mhm. Mhm. And it's not yeah. Cone it's not Mark Spector like speaking as Cone Shoe so to speak. It's actually the god Cone Shoe that is that is narrating this and he's kind of like, "Yeah, he's my avatar. He's basically my little bitch." Yeah. He does, you know, he's kind of crazy <laughs> though. Yeah. Yeah, he, who was he before me? Some yeah. guy begging at a statue. Yeah. Um, I did like so like the the main guy he fights at the end of this issue is named the Truth, and I like how all the characters that he sort of showed the truth were saying like these like I, I don't even know what to call them. I guess like conspiracy sort of sentences, like like questionable sentences, stuff like um, you know, teaching American history is a form of abuse. A kiss is a shared syringe. I mean, it's sort of it's like the random stuff like that I've read in Morrison comics, where he'll just throw this weird line into it, where you're like, "What? I guess the, so." <laughs> in a weird way, that makes the sense. one that I um I remember uh from that weird thing is um, terrorists are the new apostles. Yeah, <laughs> there you no. go. Or there's when capitalism is a murder machine. Punk is dead. It's like <laughs> okay, yeah. Um. We finally get some some Moon Knight action, and like you said, um, that Jake character comes out, which is really funny. He's like, "You want to go into my brain? You want to take? You want to? You want to show me the truth?" Um, it was really cool. It was a really fun way to, and especially the way um, I guess not the issue ends, but that in, the way that encounter ends, um, where he basically goes to this downed enemy, and he's like, um, "Well, I get what can I say? The truth hurts," and all his personalities are just like, "Oh, jeez." What a lame joke. What a hacky joke. Does he normally kill people or does he try not to kill people? I, mean, I think it depends on the writer. Yeah, I don't I don't know Moon Knight to hold back, really. Like, is this a new thing? Was he killing people in the 70s or what? No, I don't know about the 70s, but I think uh I think over time he may have. Um but yeah, I mean I, I had a lot of fun with this issue. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to more of it. We did get to see a little bit of the um uh the raw character sort of mm-hmm. walking around and trying to Yeah, I really like the raw character. And I think it's kinda crazy that they drew him to look I mean basically your stereotypical Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um I thought that was kinda interesting too, an interesting choice, but uh yeah, I like that. He's like, I don't want to burn you. Do you don't know? Make me burn you. Do you know if this is like a new character or is this someone that's raw? Been, yeah. Well, the 
per like in that body. I'm like Raw's ancient man. Well, no, not that, but like the character in the comic, like the person that's portraying him now. Oh well, the 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 dude is just a guy from a psych ward. Okay, so this is like his first appearance of anything. Yeah, to my knowledge, that physical embodiment is this is the first time that you've ever seen him in the comics that I can recall anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of the whole Jesus thing, he goes around to people who are like, you know, meek and like, you know, less fortunate and whatnot too, trying to figure out where this like one guy is he's looking for. Which I thought was, you know, does definitely add to that whole Jesus vibe they've they've got going with the character. Yeah. Now here's an interesting thing that I didn't know. Max Bemis, I'm assuming that's how you say it, Bemis Bemis. Um, I wasn't really very familiar with him, so I started looking him up to to see if he's done anything else or anything that you know I would know. He's actually like he's like a Gerard Way character. He's a lead singer of a band and has been for years, and then got into comics much kind of like how Gerard Way did. Um, he's the lead singer of a band called Say Anything. I know that and, band. What? Yeah, yeah. The lead singer. Mine's Max blown Beans, right now. The, yeah. He's the one that's writing the Moon Knight comic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember tweeting about that. Good God, about like six months ago when he took it on. That and is interesting. Okay, I, I am, uh, I'm very impressed right now. I like, I really, really liked it. Like, I honestly feel like this run of Moon Knight, if it kind of keeps up with the the way that he's doing it, could be epic. I think this yep. could be a serious epic. Like I, I feel epicness coming from this run. So, I agree. I, I don't feel it. <laughs> I'm not even waste my time with another issue. To tell you the truth, you're insane, and I don't care. <laughs> you're insane. Which person? I know you don't which care about my opinion, are we talking but I'm just saying. Right it's, I just I can't get into it. I just cannot. I think it's I interesting, but I probably. I mean, I might read another issue or two, but it's not something I'll probably pursue. Oh, you guys are insane. I think I it's interesting. Get it. I, it's I just, I don't know. It. How would you not read another issue, though, if you find it interesting? I might read another issue or something, but I don't think it's something I'm going to put on my pull list. But between this and the Batman run, Batman on the pull list, definitely. This, eh. Oh, you guys are nuts. No, it's just our taste. We just don't like it. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm I'm all in. I'm excited yeah, for the next no, issue. No, I am. After the first issue, I was kind of like, yeah, I want to see where it goes. But after this issue, I'm all in. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll give it another issue. But they better be doing something we'll that just like hooks me well, hard. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tweet Mr. Bemis and try to get him on our podcast. And then you guys can tell him how much you don't like his book. <laughs> hey, wouldn't it be the first time I did something like that? <laughs> but, I mean... uh Overall, I was pretty happy with the choices this week. I mean, they were my choices and kept it nightlike. Um, one one cool thing we were talking about, at least uh, Matt and myself already did, was um uh, the cape for Ushimini from uh, Mr. Joe Hill. Yep, I read it today. A lot of fun. It was a lot of I mean, fun. I guess it's saying it's fun makes you kind of sound psychotic, I guess, but uh, <laughs> it was definitely an entertaining read. It's he's definitely got the whole um you know after his dad the whole thing of looking into into the human psyche and and just seeing how much you know how how frail humans are because I mean like it follows the story of um I don't remember the 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 character's name but 
um it follows it follows the whole family really and just like this the whole the whole idea of this cape that that gave this kid powers um, nick and uh, nikki and who's the other one come on tap i want to see what it's nikki and who I want to say Ken or something, but I'm probably wrong. I think it, oh god, what, there, it was only four issues. Like you don't have enough time to learn all their it's names. It's Nikki and the other. Um, I don't know the other. I, I forgot. I want to say Eric. It is Eric. It's Eric. Eric. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Eric and Nikki. But yeah, super unexpected book. Yeah. I okay. So obviously this book is old. It's been out for years. They said um, they did a flashback in it to 1999. So when he went off to Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. I knew I knew absolutely nothing about this book going into it. Um I was on Comicsology Unlimited. I saw the book. I said, "Hey, what is this?" Like I like Joe Hill. Lock and Key was one of my favorite titles of all time. I'm going to read this and see what it's like. And I had no idea. Honest to God, I thought it was a superhero book. <laughs> and I started reading it and uh it's far from a superhero book. Oh, yeah. It is not a superhero book at all. Um it's it's insane. Like when he dropped her um uh, well it's an old book. People if you guys haven't read it pause it go read it. It's basically like when he dropped her from like 30 40 feet up or whatever into that fountain and killed her and one it's gruesome. Um but two I was just like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like this is insane. And then it just got crazier from there. He gets a mask and yeah, but... sets it in kerosene and then makes him l- oh, put it on and lights it on fire and you're just like yeah. what in the hell kind of psychotic Dude, person thinks he, of this? Yeah. He makes his he makes his mom crash her it's just like he downs yeah, a whole plane with the chainsaw. Yeah, with a <laughs> yeah. chainsaw by throwing it into the engine. It's funny because he like picks it up and he's like, "Yeah, this is perfect." You know, like, "Oh, he's gonna go chainsaw people." Nope, <laughs> he's gonna go chainsaw. Yeah, and plane. there's like, and there is no explanation at all to what the cape is, like how the cape no. is, what it is, is able to do what it does, etc. Like, there is zero explanation to it. Like, it's just, it's just an artifact, and you just have to accept it. Who was on the plane? I don't. I never got that part. The mom. No, was. the mom. Wait, then I'm confused on the flashback. Okay, yeah. so yeah, the flash, yeah, the flashbacks. Him saying, "Okay, you need to get out of town now." Um, here's this. Go. Okay, so she's in the Harvard sweater though in the hospital, and then on the plane she's in a green sweater, and that's why I was confused. People change clothes. Man. It was in the same day. <laughs> it's like was she changed from one sweater you to don't another. Change clothes. You don't change clothes in the same. Obviously, day? you've not met my daughter. <laughs> Why would I change my sweater if I already have a perfectly good sweater on? Yeah, you have not you, met my daughter, man. She changes a, yeah. clothes like six times a day. I suppose, yeah. but no, that part confused me at first because I—I I mean, that was one thing. I mean, I liked the book, but I don't know if I liked the chronolo- like how the chronological order of events where it would be like flashback then forward flash because sometimes i mean most of the time it was easy to get but like that plain thing that threw me off at first and i figured it was her mom or his mom from the hair and stuff but at the same time i was just like i don't know how this fits in yeah i don't know i guess you just missed out on that one it made perfect sense to me yeah the whole <laughs> yeah you mentioned like how they don't explain the cape there's like by the end of the book, the whole thing, I just felt like that's it. That's how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. I feel like there needed to be so much more, yep. like a whole issue of like some. Well, some did you also read but... all the uh, 
other spin-offs. Yeah, there's a bunch of spin-offs. Yeah. Wait, what? No, I'm unaware of this. I looked into this, too. There's, like, the Cape 2, and then there's, like, Mm -hmm. Cape, like, 66 or something like that. 69. 69. 69. And then there's a... Legacy Edition. Yeah, and then there's one other series, too, but I forgot what it was. Legacy Edition. Yeah. doubt. Okay, well, I have some more reading to do, then. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) No, I had no idea. I just thought it was, like, that four-issue arc, and that was it. Come on, it's Joe Hill, man. There's more. There's oh, a lot yeah. more for you. Yeah, that that makes sense for Joe Hill, considering what he's he's done something similar with Lock and Key with like these uh, one shots, and hopefully they start that second volume. I'm hoping he does something like that with Tales from the Dark Side. Man, we got those four issues, and now it's been like over a year and nothing. Not even like I'm mm-hmm. not doing it. Here's like a little hard series thing of script notes and stuff, and the full series. Yeah, but nothing else about it. The only other thing that I see is. I see the Joe Hills, the Cape, nineteen sixty nine. I see that. There's like, there's also like this one shot. Well, yeah, the one shot was part of the four. Well, I read like the on Comicsology Unlimited. It was like a deluxe thing, so it had the one shot and the four issues. So I read all of that. Yeah. There's Um, also the Cape Legacy Edition, and then there's the the Cape One, the Cape Two, the Cape, which came out another a year later, and then a year late later the sixty nine. So basically, it's oh, wow. three years of work of the Cape. I don't see the Cape one. Oh, I'll find it later. We don't need to discuss this. I can find it later. But anyway, yeah, that's that's impressive. I wish we could get Joe Hill on the show, man. No doubt, we've tried, tried numerous times. Oh, oh well. You know who I'd you know who I'd love to talk Rob to? Liefeld. <laughs> no, Alex Goddamn Ross. That dude is. Oh my god, I I was drooling over his work all week. Dude, I've emailed him. I've tried to do the contact us through his website. I've tried to Facebook him. Nothing. So I was showing you guys pictures of that um, Justice League World's Greatest Superheroes. It has all his bonus content in the back of him. Like, there's pictures of the the friends he had pose in the outfits and stuff. Because you know he gets like people to pose in the outfits, and that's where he gets his like frame of reference and stuff. It's super cool. That guy is. Um, He's in a league of his own. Well, speaking of which, um, got to jump back into the Batman Annual too. Uh, DC had a full uh, two-page spread in there for what's on your wish list: the DC Essentials graphic novels for 2018, with a list of uh, the 25 issues that are coming out. But what I thought was really cool was the art in it. They have you know uh, the Hall of Justice in the background. You got you know Hal Jordan, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Cyborg, Flash, and Batman all sitting or standing around the Hall of Justice reading uh, graphic novels of themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was really cool. The art of it was actually pretty well as well. As well. And I was just kind of looking at that, I was like, I like that. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like that DC does that stuff. I haven't looked into it yet, but I'm wondering if there's going to be another like Christmas anthology issue. I'm sure there will be. They do that every year. Those are always a lot of fun, too. You got to gotta have fun with it so you know i'm still trying to keep up with this deal with red skull here about reading invincible Mm. and so i've been reading quite a bit of it and um i finally got to the point of where mark breaks up with amber and everything and uh Mm -hmm. he's i guess trying to see what's going to happen with eve or whatever and um he just killed all the the martian star things or whatever sequins sequids or whatever 
and um it picked up a lot it really did At, once they got into these 40s issues now it's like okay i'm kind of flying through these issues and yeah. keep going quicker and quicker and quicker yeah well i gotta ask you now because like you threw me you threw me off completely one day in the chat you just sort of said mark needs to be honest with amber and eve if he's gonna I'm like what did he send this was this supposed to be a text to like his his wife or something i'm like what, what are you talking about <laughs> I was like, "Oh, Invincible, that's right." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, it must be that whole that's what that's yeah. what drew Alex in was the yes. uh, the the melodrama with mm. the girls." Yeah, they're in Africa and all that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that's what that's what drew you in. As weird as it was. <laughs> yeah, um the Uncanny X-Men number 135, which I have in my hands right Ooh, here. Ooh, buddy. I actually cleaned and, for... and pressed it this weekend. Ooh. Got it in a mylar bag, and this, I'm telling you, it's a 9.8 you think so it is a 9.8 i think so uh, I mean, and for those that don't know the significance <laughs> of that book why don't you fill everyone in why why alex is so gung-ho about finishing this to get that book well so basically the deal is if he finishes reading the entire series of invincible before january 1st he will get what i have in my hands uh, the uncanny x-men issue 135 with the Dark Phoenix. New buddy. But if he doesn't, then I have a lighter, and we're going to see if this thing will actually resurrect from its ashes. See, that's hard. <laughs> that's so rough. That is like, I have and to I will save YouTube it. video it, and so Errol can see on video. It's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. I'm going to finish it, and I'm going to save that damn book's life, okay? It's the truth. It's all in your hands. The right? fate of the Phoenix is in your hands, well, Alex. What issue are they on right now in Invincible? What's the last issue? 142? 143? Yeah. Okay, so I have like 100 issues. I have a l like 99 issues left. So Basically, you we'll have two more issues after 28 that. 28 days to do it. That doesn't sound that bad. It is when you read the slow. We know you your read. We know your reading style and pattern. It's just gonna be like Not Saturday. You're a slow reader overall, but like the way like you take your time with books. Yep. Like you don't you don't read books quickly. Like you you take your time mm -hmm. with them. That is very true, and uh, that's also why I remember all these random little details about books and stuff mm -hmm. because I, I I like to really take my time and look at everything cool. and really consume it all. That's true. Yeah, it's true. It's a good idea. Yeah, I saw um, Ryan Otley finished the last panel of the last issue. Yeah, that was a very weird tweet. Not weird, but it's kind of like a yeah, bittersweet heart. tweet. Yeah, it was. Yeah. End of an era. Yeah. Nope, his art, y'all aren't kidding. I mean, it's fantastic. So you is, need to read three and a half books a day to finish in time, man. Uh, it's not so bad. Is, so is Uncanny 135, is that like the first appearance of the Dark Phoenix? Is that what is so significant about that issue? I don't think it's the first appearance of the Dark Phoenix, but I think it's the death of the oh. Dark Phoenix, isn't it? Um, let me bring it up real quick. Because I'm not an X-Men connoisseur. I don't know. Uh, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Because I think 132 was the first Dark Yeah, there's Phoenix. like an arc. It's like 132 to like 135 is the arc or whatever. But I didn't know like what was so significant. I mean, it's a cool cover. It's a very cool cover. It, it looks, first it, full Dark Phoenix, Doctor Strange... And Spider-Man cameos. So okay, Spider-Man and Strange yeah. were around long. Before. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, but that 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 that, 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 that 
uh, didn't make sense to me there. It's their first cameo. Maybe it's the first time they're all three together in the same book or something. (laughs) But no, I'm pretty sure it's, I mean, it might be the first full appearance of Dark Phoenix. Uh, But I think like 132 or 133 is supposed to be like, ba-bam, this is Dark Phoenix. But yeah, here... Because 128 or 29 is the first Emma Frost in like Hellfire Club. And she oh, hasn't yeah. turned Dark Phoenix yet before that. She just becomes the Black Queen. And then um, she, it's like, a, she, you know, she's taken over and then she's like being swayed by, I think it's Sebastian Shaw. He's the one that does the mind manipulation, right? Okay, here Our we mastermind. go. It's the first... This issue has the first appearance of Senator Robert Kelly. Oh. Okay. And in it, it has a Reed Richards thing, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and Silver Surfer cameo in it. But it's also, you know, a uh, a John Byrne run. And it's the cover also. And I'm looking on eBay. You know, an average price for a 9.8 CGC graded is going for around... Three hundred fifty to four hundred dollars. Ooh, buddy! Wow! Uh, and I'm for telling a you, first th- Robert Kelly. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be some expensive ash if you don't if you don't finish. Senator Rusty. Kelly is still cool, Alex. man. I mean, if you Senator Kelly's been around in like every medium, comics, cartoon, mm-hmm. movie. I mean, he is one of those like weird sub characters that yeah. ekes his like way in every ball. medium. Yeah. Well, he becomes like one of the like main essential characters when it comes to Days of Future Past. So, yes. you know, I mean, here, and he still goes on. You still see him in uh, 90s comics and stuff. I know you, um, are, I don't know if you've started reading Fatal Attractions yet, uh, Tap, but I mean. No, I have not. Um, I'm pretty sure he pops up in there, and he still pops up in Executioner's Song. Um, he did? Yeah, he pops up in all these. I mean, he goes well, well on. You don't see Senator Kelly anymore because we have these other anti-mutant agenda people, but um you know, uh, I mean, time goes on, and uh, I mean, it's still cool, still really cool book, and I love that cover. It's hard to find. Really, it's really hard really to find. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it might get even harder. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, there's gonna be one being burned. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one less in the world. Oh jeez. At a nine eight, at that. Yep. Worst, worst case, worst absolute case, it's a nine six. Mm, well, I guess you you owe it to the. Michael's X-Men just, fans all around the world. Michael's over here just burning books. <laughs> <laughs> what a monster. Yeah. Oh, my God. If you do that, it's got to be. Well, I don't want to say our Twitter feed because you know how much hate we'll get. But oh, like, my gosh. See, you need to like wear some kind of a disguise. Dress up as Red Skull. <laughs> And, oh, and uh, definitely do it on our Twitter feed. Oh, dude, we'd get so much hate. It'd be worse That's than the whole fine. Liefeld thing that happened a couple no, of years because ago. We, what what you do is you tag you tag Alex's uh, Twitter account and say <laughs> failed the challenge. <laughs> now face the wrath of the Red Skull. <laughs> Horrible. Oh wow! You better read, son. I'll start reading. <laughs> Speaking of reading, though, these lions say you right. did. I'm going to have to read, like, find, like, a plot synopsis somewhere online and just be like, oh, yeah, this totally <laughs> happened right here. Yeah. <laughs> I'll know the truth. That's many times I've read that series. I'll, I got to do, like, a high school book report. <laughs> I'll have a list of questions. So, Alex. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, how are we holding him liable to say that he's read it or not? Well, I will say, I believe that he's reading so far, because the fact that he just came out of left field with the <laughs> yes, whole, Mark needs to talk to Eve about it, <laughs> like... That was that was pretty good. Yeah, Actually, so. per contract, it states that it, um the uh, that room that we're in, they have to uh, uh, basically quiz him. Be, be convinced. Convinced. Yeah. If you quizzed me, I'm not gonna remember 140 something. Oh, no, issues. I'm with you. I've read I've read yeah. up through 125, and then I'm waiting to binge the rest. And yeah, you're right. I'm, you're not gonna remember. Wait a minute. A so am I gonna end up probably having to finish this before you even finish this? No. Because I'll probably finish it here soon. But you have to finish it before the first if you're going to beat me then. That's not hard. Oh. <laughs> oh. Damn. But, oh, well. Dude, I read like, I try to read like 10 to 12 issues minimum a day. I, not every day, because there's some days where I don't get to. But, I mean, on average, like I try to, like Batman and Robin Omni's 1,200 pages, and that'll be done in the next day or so. Yeah. See, that's not like especially me. When it's, especially when it's as good as Invincible. I mean, Yeah, dude. Invincible sucked me in, man. That's the thing, though. I'll have these days where I'll read like 15 comics in a day, 10 comics in a day, and then I'll go like a week and not read anything. And then I'll get to the next one. I'll read like five comics. Then I'll go like four days and I'll read like seven comics in a day. And it's just all about like I guess I read until because I usually read before I go to bed or I read on like lunch breaks yep. at work. And so I always have yep. like time Same limits. Here. And there are so many times where I'm like really sucked into a story and I'll be reading in my bed and it'll be like one something in the morning and I'll just fall asleep reading the comic. Like I'll wake up in the morning, I'm laying on the fucking phone and I'm just like, okay, <laughs> you know, whatever. See, I, I've just gotten the habit now. I just take my hard copies with me to work and keep them in my top desk drawer. Yeah. <laughs> just like, there's nothing going on. Let me uh, open something up. Yeah. <laughs> Just have like uh, some paperwork around to cover it up in case someone walks into the office. Yeah. Which happens maybe once every uh, <laughs> four to five weeks. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'll say this though. I think I do this, and I don't think that y'all really. I think Taps the closest one that to doing this like me is um, a problem that I have is I will spread myself too thin. So, mm-hmm. like, right now, I think that I am in the middle of maybe six or seven plus different stories uh, that are not my regular sub pools. And then in my sub pools, I think, I mean, in my uh, my subscription pools, I think that I'm subscribed to at least 15 comics, I think. 15 to 20. Yeah. And so I think I just spread myself really thin. And so like I was telling Tap earlier today, he asked me about Extinction Agenda. And I've been in the middle of Extinction Agenda just like trying to like get, I mean, it's not that many issues. It really isn't. But like I've been probably just when I can get back to it over the course of eight months, uh, you know, and I think it's only like 13 issues or something like that. Yeah, it's like 300 pages. Is The hardcover It's like 300 right. pages. And uh, that's my thing. That's how it is with so many different comics, like especially older ones. Um, Spirits of Vengeance is another one. I got to page like 200 and something, and I put it down, and I just haven't gotten back to it again yet. Um, I did that with Fatal Attractions. I did that with Invincible, obviously. I'm in doing that right now with uh, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corp, even, and that's on my regular sub list. I think I'm like four comics, five comics behind on that thing um you know and it's just weird that you know 
I, I guess I put that much pressure on me. It's just going to be like, okay, you know, you're going to be reading seven stories one time. Cool thing about it is, though, is that I, uh, I'm i pretty good about remembering where I'm at and what's going on. But, you know, it's just I feel like I overwhelm myself with comic stories sometimes. The the one That's the one nice thing that I, I learned to love about collecting collected editions, whether it be trade paperbacks or hardcovers or omnis or what have you. Um is that it's much easier to binge because with singles, you're like pulling them out of the bag, releasing the tape, flipping through them, putting them back in the bag, sealing them, pulling out another one. Whereas like with like a, a trade or a hardcover, what have you, it's just, you're just reading straight through. Like there's no stopping. Um, you don't get those like little five minute breaks to put a book back, grab another one. Like it's just straight through and it's so much easier to binge and get through books quicker that way. I feel, um, yeah. And so, I mean, it's kind of like Netflix, man. It's, it's, it's basically the comic version of Netflix where you just get it. It's all right there and you just get it. You don't have to wait a week. You just get to keep reading. Well, I think the issue with it is with me and like binds like that. Like I've had this silver surfer, uh, epic collection where it collects like all his, uh, issues and appearances before silver surfer number one and mm-hmm. um i've had that thing for maybe two years and it's probably only like 300 something pages something like that but because it's older and it has so much text in it or whatever i find myself that like i'm reading through it and i feel like i've read like you know like a novel within three issues or four issues because yes. so many yeah. so much text yes. that i find myself yeah, just putting it down whenever i get to the next cover but you know what i that, mean yes but that is a silver age issue that's not a collected editions issue that's, that's true a silver age issue all silver age books feel the way it doesn't mean that they're not good they're still great stories they're still wonderful books but you are right it, it is hard to binge a silver age book um i feel because of the fact that there's just so much reading um yeah that it, it's a little you bit got your harder money's worth back then yeah you definitely did yeah, you definitely yeah. definitely did whereas well, with I mean, modern you, books I guess you did, yeah. with modern books they let on the art do a lot of the storytelling yeah. as well mm-hmm. yeah and so it's a little bit more visual um modern book wise so it's a little bit faster to get through modern books than it is yeah and uh, uh as to the whole you got your money's worth you kind of did i mean you're most of the stuff you're reading is what the artist is already drawing so it's like uh, I don't know. Yeah, you're kind of looking at it twice. But, like you're looking you at got the a visual full story. and then you're reading a novel on top of it. Yeah, yeah. Depending on story, yeah. Depending also on who who it was. Yeah, but yeah, that's like um, that's like when I was reading that Alpha Flight stuff, and there were all those Uncanny X Men mm-hmm. issues, and I'm reading them, I'm like, is this really not done yet? How many pages is this <laughs> issue? And then I fi- <laughs> I finally got to the John Byrne Alpha Flight stuff, and it's like a page turn. I mean, there's there's like there's de- like half the text Claremont was putting in those X Men issues, but it's like this awesome book. Alpha Flight's great. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a big thing Super too. I know. Uh, Tap, you were saying that you want to read some X Men and stuff, and uh, I always I, get, I think I'm gonna jump into AOA first. AOA is a good start. I always get nervous trying to recommend yeah. um, Claremont stuff to you because of all the times you've told me about all the text and stuff. Because we all know that uh, Chris Claremont is the king of um, king of text. So yeah, but no, AOA is a good I mean, jumping in point. You don't have to really know anything to get into AOA. Yeah. Yeah, and like the the other funny thing about the Chris Claremont stuff is I was we were talking about like the two issues I had read and you're like what happened in them like so I can get some context. And I'm like, yeah, Colossus was like clearing out a field of trees. 
um kitty and storm went to like a dance class and uh uh yeah i think they were doing something in the danger room too it was just like this weird stuff happening in the book but it took you 20 minutes to read it yeah <laughs> well when yeah. you said storming Re- kitty in the dance class that is when i remembered exactly what you were talking about yeah yeah and storm's like getting suspicious of the dance right i'm like what am i reading about here but I mean, I, I guess it all pays off in the end. People wouldn't love it so much if it wasn't uh, if it wasn't good. That was the thing, though. Like, um, especially with the Claremont things, and I think that's probably one of the biggest points that I'm going to get at with Tap. Um, for these older Claremont things, um, I think that Red School might be able to vouch for me. It may be a lot, a lot, a lot of reading at first to get through the story, but by the time you get to the ending, the payoff is so satisfying more than half the time like it's just like okay i understand now why there had to be all this text to build this up to this exact moment to happen and it was worth it yeah i mean i could say that with most claremont but not not all but i can say but i can say that with almost all of john burns stuff yeah yeah john burns great yeah, I'm actually really excited because, as you guys know, I have the John Byrne Fantastic Four Omnis that I get to dive into um, here pretty soon. Um, I think I'm going to do some more. I was telling Russ the other day, I was like, I'm, I'm going to do a lot more uh, the modern age reading that I have and then go back into bronze just because I can get through the modern so much quicker. And I can feel accomplished that I'm like, hey, I'm actually reading these. <laughs> see, see, for me, like earlier this year, I just like, that's it. I'm done with my current. I've got some stuff. In my po- I actually removed stuff from my pull box. And whatever I am getting, they just go in the box. You know, I know in a year from now, I'll have a nice buildup of stuff to read. But I'm just catching up on all my silver and bronze that I have sitting in boxes to read. And I'm just basically, I'm going through it, reading the whole series. As I'm reading it, I'm cleaning and pressing, putting them away get through one whole series move on to the next i'm going to get caught up on all my old stuff now so yeah i was doing uh fantastic four volume one uh by lee and kirby and i mean i read the first probably 15 issues um and they're great they're i seriously i love the hell out of these stories they're so much fun but 15 issues of lee kirby fantastic four like it, it's hard man because like i was trying to binge it so i think i read those 15 issues within probably four or five days mm-hmm. and i felt like i literally i mean i did i but i literally felt like i read a year's worth of fantastic right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. well technically you like, did didn't you correct i mean <laughs> exactly. you, you did but i mean like it felt that way though like, yeah it was yeah it's it very intense there's just every issue is a novel there weren't arcs every issue was like a beginning middle end arc like it was that's how they were written back then well that's what i'm gonna say even with this invincible thing now i'm on like issue 44 45 or something like that and i did i feel like i've got how many issues is how many years of invincible is that you know what i mean three is it six it'd be four well five i think it'd be five yeah well it didn't yeah, feel like i four, i felt like five. getting to issue 30 took like no time at all like when i was actually like keen on just like okay i'm getting this done back whenever i went through the run originally when i was like okay i'm gonna do this for y'all and then i took my mm-hmm. forever break from issue 30 to 45 or whatever and um yeah it, it just felt like you know the issues just fly by you don't really realize 
whenever you're going through that big of a series that, you know, this isn't necessarily a twice a week book. This is a once a month book. So 12 issues is a year right there. You get to 40 issues. That's multiple years. You know what I mean? Yeah. And actually, in many cases, those weren't month to month. They they skipped a lot of months in Invincible. Yeah. Yeah, they had to take those art breaks. Yeah. But you know, you know, Phoenix is on the line, so got to do what one's got to do. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck, sir. So, real quick, I want to give a shout out um, to Jared from One Stop Comics in Fremont, Nebraska. Um, really cool guy. Uh, we actually found each other on Facebook. Um, Fremont's probably. I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes from me. So I'm, it's a smaller town. So I'd never go out that way. And uh, he has a newer shop owner. His shop's been open for a while. Um, it's getting really good reviews and things from what I've seen. Um, but he had put on Facebook something about um, how he was reading The Stray. And as we all know, our good friend Vito Del Sante writes The Stray. So. I uh, I had messaged, and I'm friends with Vito on Facebook, so I, I had gone to his Facebook page, and I had messaged, and I said, oh, yeah, Vito Del Sante's been on our podcast. Uh, he's a great guy, wonderful, awesome book. Um, really cool to see someone else reading The Stray. And uh, he replied back, and he goes, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's a really good book. I'm digging it. And then Vito jumps in the conversation, and uh, he's like, you know, oh, thank you for being a supportive of the book. You know, well, what's the name of your shop? I'll send you a gift and, you know, things like that. And so Jared was like freaking out. He's like, oh, my God. And so um, he had he had messaged me and, and we got to talking and he was very appreciative of, uh, you know, throwing a shop out there and having Vito talk and um, whatnot. And so I said, yeah, man, uh, I'll give your shop a shout out on the podcast. I was like, I don't know if anybody from Fremont listens, but if they do go to one stop shop or one stop comics. Um, and I actually need to make my way out there as well. But, um, from what I hear, it's an awesome shop. Uh, Jared is really, really nice and uh, nice hometown type shop feel. He, his big thing is that he told me is he just wants to get people to read comics. Like he's like, I grew up reading comics. I think it's the greatest medium in the world. And I just want kids and other people to experience the joys and loves that I had growing up reading comics. And that's all his thing is. Like, he didn't seem to care if his business made money or not. I'm sure he does. But his attitude is all about reading comics. So I thought that was pretty cool. Where are we going to, Nova? Who are we talking to? We are going to call someone who is going to be working for one of my favorite companies. And, um, you know, who who's done a lot of... Uh, late night stuff so i guess we're all used to that but uh let's give a special someone a call right now all right folks Welcome to the interview uh, portion of this podcast. Today, as you saw in the title, I'm sure, we're talking to Daniel Kibblesmith, um, a man who's, you know, dipped, dipped his pen into literally every sort of entertainment medium um, that, that I can think of. And he has already written for and will be uh, writing a new ongoing for my favorite comic company, uh, Valiant Comics. Um, welcome, Daniel, to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, so, I mean, you know, I mentioned that you've done a whole bunch of stuff, but um, for people that may not, you know, have heard of you before... Um, why don't you give us a little rundown on, you know, your your passions and whatnot and what you've been up to? 
Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, well, um, it's great to hear uh, that you love Valiant, as I also love Valiant. Uh, starting uh, this month, uh, at December 20th, uh, we'll be releasing the first issue of my new run, Writing Quantum and Woody. Uh, so uh, that's obviously very exciting. Um, I am writing uh, Lockjaw for Marvel in February. Uh, and I've done uh, some other uh, short stories uh, for uh, for Valiant and uh, for DC. And um, by day, I am also a writer for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, so I, I keep keep pretty busy. Um, oh, and it's the holiday season, so I should also mention uh, that I'm the author of a new picture book called Santa's Husband, uh, which is the uh, remarkable true story of a black Santa Claus uh, and his white husband who fills in for him at the mall sometimes uh, and their life together at the North Pole. Now, I just got to say, I've heard the backstory on how that book came to be. Like, I think it was last year, the the outrage from the Internet being basically douchebags about a black Santa at a mall and then like a tweet from you that turned into this book. Is that kind of how that went? That's basically the story. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've got a pretty good handle on that. That's incredible. (laughs) Um, I was actually reading about that. I said, oh, my God, this is incredible. So I thought that was actually really cool about how like one – outbursts from internet trolls can turn into something so cool so yeah I really, awesome. we we really we really appreciate that me and uh, my my illustrator ap quatch have uh, gotten a lot of a lot of really overwhelmingly positive feedback about it and for for those who didn't see it play out um what happened was last year the mall of america uh, hired a black santa claus and this was just the latest addition to the sort of uh, annual war on Christmas outrage. And there was the whole uh, Megyn Kelly thing uh, about Santa Claus needing to be white uh, a few years ago. So uh, me and, and my now wife uh, made a joke on Twitter saying, uh, if we ever have a child, they'll only know about the black Santa Claus. And uh, if they see a white Santa Claus, like at the mall or something, we'll say, that's Santa's husband. Uh, and then my illustrator friend jumped into our mentions with some really beautiful concept arts and um, the we just decided to go for it, decided to put together a proposal. And uh, uh, a year later, uh, the book is out in time for, for the holidays. So, yeah, we couldn't we could not be prouder. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you 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 clearly keep busy. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, I, I love Valiant Comics and Quantum and Woody is one of my favorite um, duos. I mean, those those two characters are just. Uh, they're so unique, you know, um, and the dynamic they have with each other. Um, so I wanted to ask, you also wrote Valiant High, which uh, I really enjoyed. I mean, it's um, it's a very different take, and I, I may not have been, like, a target audience, but I liked seeing all these different roles of, like, you know, Bloodshot being the gym teacher and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, that I, was I pretty natural. Were, yeah, I thought those, it was great. I thought it was a fun time. I mean, um, you know, getting past the whole high school thing, which I wasn't a big fan of. Like, I, I wasn't a big fan of high school myself, but, I mean, it was fun. It was great. <laughs> Uh, no, you know. I totally understand. I actually uh, just last month I went back and talked to my old high school, and um, I was really honest with the students and just said, like, you know, it's a big honor to be invited to come and, and talk to you guys. But if I'm being truthful, I I really hated it here, <laughs> and like kids started clapping, and I think it was just it was very refreshing yeah. to, and um, I loved doing Valiant High. That was my first, uh, you know, it was a mini series. It was my first multi issue. Uh, story for for valiant and um it was such a it was kind of a perfect first valiant gig because i got to use the whole valiant universe but i got to do it outside of continuity so i could make little personal tweaks to them and uh you know not really affect anything that was going on in the bigger storylines 
so if uh, if anybody likes uh, Valiant uh, and you know you, you love those characters and their personalities, uh, I would definitely love it if you if you picked it up. Uh, or maybe if you don't know Valiant, uh, but you like um, you like Archie or the old uh, X Men Evolution cartoon. That's kind of the same premise. Uh, it's just a superhero high school. Very cool. So. Um, you know, you saying this was your first uh, venture into uh, Valiant. How did you get the uh, original hookup or your foot in the door with the company to begin with? My very first Valiant stuff was um, through being a humor writer, which, you know, Valiant High and Quantum and Woody obviously are also like on the more humorous side of the, the comics they put out. But uh, I um, uh, became friends with uh, then Valiant's editor, uh, Alejandro Arbona, uh, who's edited like a lot of really really cool stuff that, that people have read. And, uh, you know, if you look in like trade paperbacks in your house, his name is definitely in the front. Uh, and he brought me on to work on a couple of, um, the anthology issues, uh, when, uh, bloodshot hit 25 and when unity hit 25, uh, they did these uh, special anthology issues where there were some humor pages in there. So, uh, my first work for valiance was, uh, some, some like fake advertisements in bloodshot number 25, uh, that, uh, uh, I thought were really funny. I'm really proud. Of. <laughs> and then when it came time to do uh, unity 25, uh, I've got some humor pages in there as well. And, um, the one that I'm the most proud of is probably the GI Joe style PSAs, uh, with unity giving like really bad advice to kids, uh, sort of like anti PSAs, uh, because uh, the valiant heroes, you know, as, as you guys probably know, are a little more exist in a grayer area there's a lot of real violence yeah. uh and a lot of you know uh actual stakes uh, in the valiant universe you know the what's what cities get destroyed and those cities are really destroyed uh, that kind of thing so you don't necessarily want to get advice from from valiant heroes if you're a kid yeah i don't uh, i mean eric when or, or eric i never know how to pronounce his name but i don't see him giving the best advice to uh to kids trying to figure out what to do with their career and whatnot. No, he, he appears in one of the PSAs and uh, it's some kids who are illegally downloading uh, and he uh, tries to cut off their hands. <laughs> so I think that's how he, I think that's his, how his sense of justice translates to internet piracy. Yeah, that is definitely what he would do. That is a hundred percent accurate. So now oh, um, I wanted to dive a little more into Quantum and Woody. Obviously, issue one comes out, uh, I think it's December 27th, uh, around that time. Um, what kind of plan do you have with this series? I mean, is it, do you, do you, are you sort of going arc by arc here? Or do you have like this, you know, grand, the grand scheme that you hope you can get through as well? Well, it's a little of both because, you know, it's a, it's a new number one. Uh, so we want it to be a good jumping on point uh, for new readers, maybe people who have, uh, you know, seeing the ads that we're putting out or like seeing the crazy holofoil covers mm -hmm. uh, that are coming out are sort of like our love song to the 90s. Um, so the most important thing is sort of like reestablishing these guys uh, to to a new audience um, and explaining their relationship. And, you know, if you don't know, uh, it's uh, these two brothers. Uh, one of them's adopted. Uh, so it's uh, Quantum. Uh, whose real name is Eric, uh, and he's black, he's straight-laced, he's ex-military, uh, and his adopted brother, Woody, he's kind of like a small-time con artist, he's sort of like a smooth talker with a huge ego and a lot of swagger, um, and uh, they're this uh, sort of a, uh, an odd couple, you know? Uh, so they go to, uh, they reunite to solve uh, the murder of their scientist father, uh, and in doing so, they gain they gain these superpowers uh, where they're bound together 
uh, and they have to clang their gold bracelets together every 24 hours or they turn back into energy. So it's the same quantum and what everybody, you know, hopefully knows and loves. And it's in the same continuity as uh, Valiant, Valiant's quantum and what he has been. Uh, but we're jumping ahead in time a little bit uh, and have them totally estranged from each other. And Woody giving Eric the silent treatment uh, for something that he he kept from him. So it's uh, it's a fun dynamic to go into where you know the good cop is the one that ended up blowing up their relationship, and the the scoundrel kind of has the moral high ground. So uh, from there, uh, I know that there's stories that I want to do in the future. Um, but uh, you know, the great thing about telling a story in a serialized way is that we get to like discover stuff. Uh, along the way and the characters personalities are so complete we can just kind of like follow what feels natural for those guys like what you know what they would really do yeah um uh, were you a fan i mean uh, it seems like you were anyway of comics in general but um i guess were you reading like the 90s uh, valiant stuff at all or did you sort of just start with the with the newest relaunch or no, I started with the more recent relaunch yeah. i was aware of valiant uh at the time um, but, uh, I never, I never really dove in when I was a, when I was a kid reading comics, um, I never really got that much past Marvel and DC. I mean, part of it was just cause that's how much allowance I had. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I was aware of them as the sort of like the, the very, the very hip and sometimes very artsy kind of like alternative uh, to, to Marvel and DC, but the, the big two companies kind of had like a stranglehold on my brain and I was yeah. more like buying stuff that I was familiar with already you know the characters who were like in my video games and stuff who I already like had a relationship with um so I got into Valiant uh, after they relaunched and Quantum and Woody was my first title because um I knew that they were the funny comic and I knew the premise already uh and um James Asmus was uh, was a friend of a friend uh, I knew that uh he did comedy and uh, and other writing uh, in addition to comics. Uh, so, so Quantum and Woody was my gateway into the Valiant universe. And I think it was really great because you don't need to know any continuity or any of the other characters. And they really let you kind of like, you know, if you like Quantum and Woody, then you'll probably end up reading the delinquents crossover with, uh, Archer and Armstrong. And from there you can go to Archer and Armstrong, which is another really great run of buddy comedy adventure comics. Um, but that sort of, that sort of bleeds into the bigger Valiant universe with like Armstrong's connection to, uh, you know, the, the immortal brothers and, uh, and the, the kind of bigger mythology. So it's honestly, I, I love quantum and Woody as like the secret gateway drug to Valiant comics. I, it worked yeah. on me. I really hope that my run does it for other people. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Cause then once you get into Archer and Armstrong, you've got like Ivar and you got eternal warrior. And then you just, you just go crazy from there. Once you start getting, yep. yeah. on those. <laughs> it's like off to the races. Oh, Cause yeah. you know who all those guys are now. And yeah. yeah. And the other one I really love uh, is, is faith. I think like uh, the faith solo stuff, you could totally yeah. pick that up and start there and then go back and, and read all the, the, I'm going to say Harbinger yeah. Harbinger. I'm going to say Harbinger. Yeah. Harbinger. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, I, read I should Quant know that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We'll uh we'll lower the volume on that part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but um yeah for for anyone that's interested, I mean the delinquents especially is like one of the funniest comics I think I've ever read. It's only four issues too. I mean it's it's great. I love that love that mini. Um so I guess you also mentioned Lockjaw. I know uh I know Alex is our 
our, our Mar- big Marvel guy here. I don't know what his stance is on Lockjaw, but that's a that's a mini you're doing early next year, correct? Or it's coming out early next year anyway. Yeah, Lockjaw comes out in uh, February. Okay, so is there uh, anything you can tell us about it so far? Um, how do you know? You said it's a mini. Uh, how did you get set up with the gig? You know, that one, they just sort of reached out to me. I think that I had, like, talked about Lockjaw on Twitter a lot. And, um, uh, yeah, one of one of Marvel's editors uh, dropped me a line and said, hey, would you would you have time in your schedule to, to do something? Um, and um, I did, you know, so I, I kind of said yes blind. I was like, at the very least, please, please tell me what this what this could be. Uh, and when it was Lockjaw, it just kind of blew my mind. Because I was like, yes, of course. Of course, Lockjaw needs a solo series, <laughs> um, which he hasn't. I don't think he's had. He's in Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers, which is also great. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then there's a pretty good Lockjaw story collection. Uh, I think it's called Dog Days. Huh. But okay. but um, but to, yeah, to my knowledge, this is the first Lockjaw Lockjaw solo series. Um, but even even that is a little bit of a misnomer because. Since he's a dog, uh, we decided to go kind of Doctor Who style and give him a human companion. So um, the Lockjaw series is a, sort of a travel log of the Marvel Universe, uh, where uh, Lockjaw is uh, is uh, teleporting around, uh, looking for. Uh, I think I can reveal this: uh, looking for the other puppies from his litter. Okay. Uh, and uh, his companion on this trip is uh, D Man, uh, the Demolition Man. That's cool. I was actually yep. reading a, a D-Man story the other day in a uh, Captain America book from the 80s. So yeah, uh, that's, that's cool. This, that's cool. Yeah, he's this uh, fantastic, uh, you know, uh, uh, he, he comes and goes. He's uh, he's sort of uh, the fact that he's named D-Man, uh, I think, is, is perfect. And it's sort of a what came first, the chicken or the egg question in terms of like being a D-list character and being right. named D-Man, because I think he takes on a little bit of... The writers have a little, you know, self-awareness about uh, what his role is in the Marvel universe. So, uh, I couldn't think of somebody. I couldn't think of somebody better to just have a giant teleporting dog show up on their doorstep, and uh, totally uh, take them on a on a crazy adventure. No, for sure. With his humble personality and everything else, I'm sure it's going to be uh, uh, quite a series, you know, or quite a story. Yeah, exactly. Just he's just a, a regular guy swept up with like the weirdest animal <laughs> that anyone could imagine. <laughs> so um, before this series, um, were you an Inhumans fan in any way, or uh, is this just something that you know it fell in and then you're like, oh no, research now? Or have you always just been have you been into the Inhumans uh, previously? Yeah, I always loved the Inhumans. I mean, there weren't that many great Inhumans comics. Is the thing I, right. so I loved. I loved the characters because when I was introduced to all the characters, um, uh, well, all comics characters, but especially Marvel characters, because that's what my dad liked and that's what he had around the house. Um, I knew the big famous characters like, uh, you know, Spider-Man and Wonder Woman and uh, Batman and Superman. Um, but I, I only knew them from sort of like uh, cartoons and pop culture the same way that I would know like other iconic characters like Mickey Mouse or, you know, Kermit the Frog or something like they were just like big cartoon characters. I didn't know about like comic book universes and comic book storytelling. So when, when I did finally start expressing an interest in that stuff, my dad showed me his old silver age comics and kind of told me who everybody was. 
And I learned who everybody was all at the same time. I never learned, like, this is a major character, this is a supporting character. I just had them all dumped on me. So the Inhumans never felt like a, like a tertiary property to me. They always felt, like, as big and important as, like, the Fantastic Four or the X-Men because I learned about everything all in one crazy, crazy dose. Uh, and they're so inherently weird and memorable uh, that they they really they really suck with me over the years. So, um, but Lockjaw in particular just like has such a mascot quality. I don't know how you couldn't love and remember Lockjaw if you're a comic book fan. No, I think that's like the general consensus, even among like um, our comic <laughs> groups and stuff. Is uh, not all of them may like the Inhumans, but generally everyone likes Lockjaw. Yeah. Yeah, if nothing, if nothing else, you got to give it up for the the dog the size of a hippopotamus who lives on the moon. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, there's um, there's not too many pets in the uh, Marvel or DC universes that I remember. I mean, aside mm-hmm. from the dogs, Crypto and Lockjaw, I guess like Kitty Pride had that like dragon too, but I never remember its Lockheed. Name. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Lockheed, not to be confused with Lockjaw. Then yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I do. I I actually I, I have. I don't want to give it away, but I did write a joke about that. Okay. Oh. <laughs> about how it's a little weird that there's these two pet characters in the Marvel Universe uh, whose names both start with Locke. Yeah. Yeah. It's the ongoing themes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So, um, speaking of comics, keeping on the topic and all that, um, is there anything that you're currently reading, uh, you know, just for fun even, for yourself? Is there any comics that you're really into right now? Oh man, I always, I, I am, but I am, always feel so on the spot when people ask me that. Um, oh, Mr. Miracle. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's so incredible. Um, I think, I think it's the best thing that, uh, the best thing that I'm reading right now. And, um, I just got the most recent, uh, Tom King, uh, Batman, uh, collection uh, for a plane ride. And that had, uh, the, uh, is it Gerard's or Gerard's? Uh, the name of the artist, Mitch, uh, on Gerard's, Mr. Miracle. Yeah. Gerard's, yeah. So it had the uh, the King Gerard's um, Swamp Thing team up, oh, yeah. the Brave and the Mold. Yeah. And if you love Mr. Miracle, you have to go back and read. I think it's issue twenty-three, maybe, of <laughs> King's Batman, uh, where he it's the same creative team and he teams up with Swamp Thing, and it's just the best. It's so good. Um, so I'm I'm reading that right now. I'm uh, catching up on uh, Charles Soule's uh, Letter Forty Four uh, series, which is kind of like a, a hard science fiction uh, alien invasion story from Oni. Uh, it's kind of like um, I don't know, like West Wing meets uh, Independence Day. I guess it's it's crazy, um, but it's it's really good. Uh, he does a good job of sort of making you feel like this is what would happen. Uh, if there was a real alien invasion and the this technology became available, um, yeah, lots of stuff. Um, oh, uh, I really love. Um, I already mentioned Jody Hauser's uh, Faith uh, series uh, for Valiant, but I also really love um, Mother Panic, uh, the thing that she's doing, uh, uh, maybe like co-created with yeah with Gerard Way on, on Young Animal. Yeah, uh, that that I love very very much. I like how Gotham just will always have room for another vigilante just, yeah. just they just keep popping up um so yeah i try try to read as much as much as i can but it, it gets busy 
It happens. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to say this. Most of the people we bring on the show, they'll, uh, most of the time the, the answer is, I don't have time. I'm always working. I can't keep up with comics anymore. Yeah, we get that way. Too. It's the old guys, some of the new guys. Yeah, it, it's just yeah. like ongoing. And they only yeah. write comics, not do a whole bunch of other stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know where this time is coming from. I probably should be sleeping more. Uh, I think I think one day one day I will just like uh, collapse on my couch and stay there for three years. So have you always been into comics, like even as a kid, or was this something that was found later on as you got into writing and discovering other mediums? Uh, it kind of it kind of came and went. Um, my, like I said, my dad was the guy who was really into comics, and I didn't really get it when I was little little. Um, but, uh, I was obsessed with, uh, video games. So my, my weird kind of sideways gateway to comics ended up being, um, the video games that would have comic book characters in them. Uh, and the, the big one was when we went to, uh, the fun zone arcade in Melrose park right next to Triton college. And, uh, they had the six, uh, six player wraparound X-Men game. Yes. And that was, yeah. that was such a watershed moment. I think for people roughly my age, and um, it was, you know, the most fun I ever had on a video game, but it also reignited a curiosity about these characters. So I was like around nine or ten probably, and that's when my dad was like, well, you know, I, I, I know who all these guys are. So uh, later today uh, you can go read through my old comics and you can like find out, you know, who, who all these characters are besides, you know, just Nightcrawler being the coolest looking character that I'd ever seen. And his, his powers definitely not working that way in the comics. (laughs) He does not turn into a fireball and kill every six foot tall Sentinel on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So then I was reading comics in the nineties. Uh, and I, I always, you know, I always wrote, I always wanted to make movies. Uh, so I went to film school um, I kind of fell off of comics during the '90s boom because they were sort of getting expensive, and they were making like a lot of changes to stuff uh, in the big companies that uh, didn't didn't speak to me. Um, so I, I kind of fell off after the big '90s boom, and then came back again when I was in film school, and people were loaning me like those big seminal Vertigo runs uh, yeah. of of you know kind of mandatory prestige comics, and I would read uh, all of uh, Sandman and. Uh, you know, that was when someone gave me Watchmen um, and uh, turning me on to like, um, you know, like, like indie stuff like Love and Rockets and uh, James Kolchalka and, you know, Fantagraphics reprints of things. And that's when I, I kind of got in like like hard and sort of thought like, OK, like I would if I could make this part of my career, I would really like to do that. Um, so, yeah, just kind of, uh, you know, I have a lot of jobs now, but I think it's because when I was teaching myself to do stuff, I was pursuing a lot of things at the same time because you never know what's going to what's going to hit, uh, you know, what's going to like actually become become a paycheck and become a fulfilling life. Uh, that's the thing. You just keep throwing things against the board and hoping they stick, right? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um, and you know, if you, if you, you work at it for a long time and, um, uh, you know, get, get, uh, a little, a little, certainly better than I was at film school, uh, at writing, uh, then yeah, some people will, uh, hopefully let you do it professionally. Uh, so, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of stuff, uh, stuck all at once this year. Uh, it's been, it's been pretty, pretty extraordinary. That's Very cool. cool. 
Now, Daniel, speaking of jobs and stuff, you know, I have to bring up, you know, you, you obviously had a very, how should we put it, an interesting tenure with Groupon <laughs> with the most unusual job application resume. She's basically the joke writer for the advertisement, if I understood that correctly. Yeah, they always make it seem like I was the only one. I was part of a, I was a part of a whole department with like six or seven people in it. And we would write like a humorous, basically like humorous ad copy. Um, or we would write like before listicles were really uh, this ubiquitous thing. We would write little listicles at the bottom uh, of um, of coupons, you know, basically of mm -hmm. Groupon coupons. And, uh, you know, they were just like kind of like little McSweeney's-ish uh, things uh, that would go out with the deals every day, um, but it was it was fun, uh, and it it was um, a good lesson in uh, discipline uh, because I'd never written professionally before. You know, I never like met deadlines before, um, so that's when I started sort of exercising my muscles on a on a daily basis. And um, even though you know that's not the kind of material I would necessarily <laughs> submit to like the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, it was the first kind of uh, feeling uh, of, you know, how to how to turn this into a job while still ch trying to make yourself laugh and trying to be honest about what you're putting out there. Uh, so, yeah, we would do that and we would do like uh, in-house uh, alternate reality games mm -hmm. uh, for the employees where we, you know, uh, a coworker of mine ran around wearing uh, like mummy bandages over his face and a yellow hazmat suit. Um, we... Uh, it's a long story, but there was a stationary bike that played records and a smoke machine and a strobe light. And wow. you, you, you kind of had to be there. <laughs> yeah. Now, is this where this, I heard there's some story about candy bars in a toilet. I'm assuming that this is where it falls into play. Yes, that was, yeah. So <laughs> what this alternate reality game was uh, called Michael's Room. And uh, we built this weird bedroom at Groupon with like uh, Cookie Monster Blue Shag carpeting <laughs> and uh, this uh like velvet painting of a native american chief and a, a terrarium that had been uh broken from the inside so it looked like something escaped um and one of the things in this bedroom was a a non-functioning toilet uh that was full of wrapped almond joys <laughs> uh so they were they, you know it was it was sanitary it was essentially just like a porcelain bowl um sounds like something from caddyshack yeah, it invokes. It certainly invokes it a little bit. Um, but uh, I, I, I will be honest. I did go in there and grab one every once in a while. <laughs> uh, well, that's cool. People, people got over it. People ate them. That's cool. So I know you don't. I know you do a lot of uh, comedy writing and such. Uh, what are some of your inspirations? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, I read a lot of stuff that I love, but um, I don't always think of myself as connecting to them as inspirations. Um, I love, uh, I loved David Letterman and Conan O'Brien, uh, very much, uh, growing up. Um, and I, you know, I would watch, I would watch SNL, but, but it, I was sort of just watching it to watch it, you know, it was watching it cause that's what you did. Um, but the things that made me laugh hardest in SNL were, um, uh, deep thoughts with Jack Handy back in sort of the late 80s, mm -hmm. uh, early 90s. Um, so the fact that he was a, was a humor writer uh, outside of SNL and has like New Yorker pieces and, and books and collections and stuff, um, that I think is really cool because it means even at a very young age, uh, I recognize that on some level, this was a job and uh, that I would 
hope to be in a similar field and, you know, have a similar sensibility and, and, uh, be able to do, do that kind of, kind of work one day. Um, I also just love anybody who like builds their own crazy thing, like mystery science theater. Like they invented a kind of comedy. Right. Uh, I think it's really, really, uh, underrated the, the level of, uh, how groundbreaking that was just sort of like creates this, this genre uh, of comedy and then build it into like this really cool empire. And it was just really their weird Midwestern sensibility, like goofing around with friends, doing really specific references and stuff and like physically making things. Uh, so I, I love, I love that. And, um, in terms of just like, uh, purely the funniest thing I can think of, um, Mr. Show with Bob and David was like the hardest that I had ever laughed when I saw it for the first time. And I didn't, I didn't know that like my body could laugh that hard. I didn't know that like you were allowed to be that funny. And I think that that made a big difference in my life because, um, it tapped me into the, uh, rebellious, uh, uh, nature of, of writing comedy, you know, like how it's this inherently kind of a defiant act. Um, it's not just like amusing, uh, if it feels, uh, you know, dangerous, uh, right. even, in, even in, in like, you know, air quotes, dangerous, like not like pretentious comedian or storytellers who are shaking up the system. I just mean like you saying something that a kid has never heard before. Uh, that was, that was a huge, a huge deal for me. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, that's the, that's the one thing I've always liked about comedy is just trying to, you know, push the boundary and, and get people to laugh at things they may not have thought would be funny. Um, but you know, you've done, you've done a lot of, um, humor writing and I mean, it seems to be something you naturally excel at. Um, I mean, in terms of, I don't know, let's say comics going forward, uh, is it, is there like a, a desire in you to stretch like the melodrama or like serious writing, uh, bone? Oh yeah, totally. I was talking to, um, uh, this guy, Jeff Loveness, uh, who, uh, writes comics, but, uh, he also writes for TV and he used to be a, a Jimmy Kimmel writer. Um, and he and I in, in, uh, some ways have like kind of similar resumes. So we, we were talking about this and, um, he got to write a story for the death of Wolverine, uh, anthology issue. That was like this really melodramatic, like sad sack story about Cyclops missing his friend. And it's, it's so great. And he, he, he told me, Hey, don't read this. Uh, you don't, you don't have to, it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, and I think because comedians are kind of, you know, like, I, I don't think it's a secret. They're like sad people for the most part, uh, that, that comedy is, is a coping mechanism. And, uh, a lot of comedians uh, face depression and anxiety. Uh, I think that, uh, we definitely all secretly want to write like that super brooding, you know, Batman story where he's up on the roof with the rain pouring over him. Um, and, uh, yeah, or, you know, like, a like eight pages of Rorschach's diary. I think all the, the funny book writers, uh, want to, want to do something really serious and, and melodramatic because a lot of us, you know, have, we have those feelings too. It's just that, uh, for, for whatever reasons our, you know, our, our lives or our personalities have, um, trained us to express them in, in more kind of a, a sideways, uh, cynical way. 
but yeah, I'd, I'd love to do something like that. I think a lot about uh, Charlie Kaufman, uh, how he was a writer on uh, the Dana Carvey show, and he was just doing sketch comedy. Uh, and then he left to write screenplays that are just incredibly brooding and ponderous and melodramatic and unapologetic tearjerkers at times. Um, and that was nice because it's like, OK, like I I'm not the only comedian who secretly wants to go yeah. off and try something melodramatic every once in a while. Uh, I get it. So now the whole Woody being the uh, the one, you know, sort of turning the tables on the whole quantum and Woody relationship sort of sort of makes sense there whether you meant to do that or not turning the comedian into sort of the um the one who's finally you know taking a stand yeah sure exactly <laughs> oh man if you if you want to see me if you want to see me try to write a tearjerker you're gonna love issue three great uh issue three is the big uh the big uh goat reveal uh where we uh, go back to uh the previous volumes and uh, pick up the cliffhanger on what happened to the goat <laughs> Uh, so I, I, uh, can't, I can't believe that, uh, my wife read it and I can't believe that an outline of a comic about a, a goat with laser eyes actually made her sob. Wow. So that's what I'm going for. I don't want to, I, I talked it up a little too much, but, no, no. uh, you, you guys be the judge. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm not, you know, scared to admit it or ashamed of admitting it, but I've very many times gotten emotional over comic books. I don't know what it is, mm -hmm. but. We'll see what happens, I guess. You know, you're, you're bringing up the goat, and um, that, that, that may just do it for me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. <laughs> just wanted to say uh, real quick here that we, you know, Valiant sends us uh, preview emails and things like that. So I have gotten a kind of chance to, to see, like, a sneak preview. Not, like, the whole issue, but, like, you know, a good six, seven pages of uh, Quantum and Woody issue one and two. And it looks very promising. I'm very, very, very excited um, for December 20th to hit. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It looks really good. Kano's art looks awesome. Um, it looks really solid. Yeah, he is actually a person from the future. I think. Um, <laughs> I uh, uh, Dinesh, uh, the CEO of Valiant, Dinesh, uh, posted um, a couple of these like 18 panel grids. Uh, that he did um, on on his personal Twitter account, and somebody replied in the mentions, uh, "I would love to see the script pages on these, um, but I'm going to let you guys a little bit behind the curtain. Uh, I did not write a page with 18 panels <laughs> on it because if I did, I would seem like a maniac. Um, that was just how he envisioned the story and used it to, you know, like break down the 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 pacing. And if you go look at those preview pages." Um, you know, it very it is very much like kind of a like a page about Woody giving Eric the silent treatments. Um, and by breaking it down like that, he really is just a master of innovating the form in terms of like time and pacing. Uh, and you really get the feeling of what it's like to be in that awkward silence. Um, so, yeah, I'm so glad I'm so glad you're looking forward to it. And I'm so glad that I get to work with that guy. So uh, in terms of your writing style for, for comic books, are you, um, I mean, there's, there's guys who do like, oh, I want this in this panel or like something like, oh, just this general vibe. Are you just sort of writing like the dialogue and then letting, um, letting him do what needs to be done or well, what's your, what's your style, I guess, if you don't mind. I mean, no, no, not at all. You always want to give everybody everything they could possibly need and then also give them the freedom to use it or not use it. That's kind of my... Right. That's kind of my personal philosophy. That's what we do. That's what we do at the Colbert Show. 
um, and that's how I try to write scripts. Uh, so I write full script. Um, but if there's something that like I recognize as an opportunity to be really flexible, if it's like layouts or, um, you know, uh, uh, like fight choreography, uh, or if it's something where I, you know, something where I imagine like photocopy panels, like a page of the same angle, uh, you know, I might think that's funny, but they might see visual opportunities there that I don't. So um, I always write full descriptions so that, you know, at every at every opportunity, if you know, if they've got writer's block, they can rely on me. Um, but if they've got a better idea, then I can rely on them. Uh, so I think in, in a lot of ways, uh, being like in a writer's room uh, and you know, having all these other jobs that were purely collaborative, I think really did a good job uh, preparing me for just um, being uh, open and, and trusting uh, in terms of uh, the other people's contributions. Yeah, and in this amazing day and age, we've talked about this before, I mean, you can get the artwork right away and just sort of give some feedback and talk back and forth with them. So, I mean, unless you're communicating with the future, it might be a little more difficult, but... Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to bury it in the yard and then kind of gets it 200 years later. Yeah. No, that's, um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I've always, I've always wondered how different, you know, uh, writers do their thing. I know like, you know, Grant Morrison draws the whole thing himself first and writes a script out. And then you've got Alan Moore who's writing like everything to the detail. So I always like asking writers what their, um, what their process is. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's like, it's full script, but it's, it's fairly, fairly standard. Yeah. Um, it's just a sort of like, if you got a better idea, I, I trust you go with that. Yeah, exactly. And I try to have those conversations up front. So it's not something I have to keep coming back to in the script itself. It's just like from Jump Street, you know, working in a, an implied, uh, you know, freedom uh, to, uh, to shake things up uh, however, they, however they see fit. Um, unless it's like crucial to the story, you know, and then right. it's the easiest thing in the world these days to just email the person, uh, especially with so many people working um, strictly digitally. Uh, to email yeah. the person and say like, oh, it, it, sorry, this you know Christmas tree needs to be uh, unplugged because he plugs it in in the next page, whatever. Okay, well, I don't uh, know why I picked that example. I'm not even <laughs> looking at a Christmas tree. <laughs> I think it's just his the it's, season. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been like that for a, a few months for some people. <laughs> Thinking about Christmas trees and getting them ready. Um, one thing I did want to ask about, um, this may not be too big of a deep dive, but um, I noticed you and uh, um, Elliot Rahal, who we had on the show once before, did some work for uh, Heavy Metal. Um, how did that, are you guys like friends? How did that come about? Do you guys um, know each other from other professional venues? Or I love I love the way you phrased, are you guys like friends? <laughs> uh, we are exactly, we are exactly like friends. Great. Uh, no, Elliot and, I are, Elliot and I are really close. Um, Elliot and I met uh, doing comedy in Chicago. Uh, when, uh, we used to do, uh, Elliot used to do stand up at this, this venue called the Lincoln Lodge, uh, where a lot of, a lot of now, uh, famous, uh, comedians and, um, a lot of soon to be famous comedians are still working. And, uh, it's, I think it's the longest running independent comedy showcase in Chicago. And it was called the Lincoln Lodge cause they were in, um, a, a real diner, uh, called the Lincoln Lodge on Lincoln, uh, and now it's just like the name of their showcase uh, and they move around and stuff. But um, I was showing like YouTube videos uh, in, in their, in their stand-up, uh, stand-up showcases and Elliot was doing stand-up and he was about to leave for a Marvel internship. 
so we just uh, got to talking about comics and um you know for the over the next couple of years sort of like talked about it a little more and talked about it a little more and then finally kind of had uh, footholds uh, in terms of actually pitching stuff. So we had a couple failed pitches, uh, and then finally we came up with uh, the Doormen uh, for heavy metal, uh, which ended up getting uh, drawn by a really awesome artist named Kendall Good. So Daniel, just to kind of wrap things up, is there anything else that you have out there that you like to talk about or promote? I kind of front loaded it. Yeah, I'd say um, you know it would mean a lot to me if you would watch the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, that's on <laughs> uh, 11:35 Eastern on uh, weeknights on uh, CBS, and um, the book is uh, Santa's Husband. Uh, so if you're uh, looking for a Christmas gift for someone who might like that kind of thing, actually, especially if you're looking for a Christmas gift who might not like that uh, kind of thing, um, uh, or you can you just go with up. How to Win at Everything. <laughs> Yeah, also out there. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, I have another yeah. book. Yeah, there's yeah. another humor book that I wrote uh, uh, with my friend Sam Weiner. Uh, so um, those are all available. But uh, this is a comics podcast. So please, please check out uh, Quantum and Woody number one uh, from Valiant Comics uh, this this month. Uh, it's uh, got art by uh, Kano. You can look at the pages online. Uh, it's going to be crazy. Very exciting. Sounds yes. good. I'm excited mm-hmm. for it, man. We're going to make you read it, Alex. I know, right? You gotta get out of your I'll Marvel read it. bubble. I promise. I know. There's a valiant can be good. That's been proven. That's been yeah, more than proven to me. We worked yeah. really hard to make sure this could be somebody's first Quantum and Woody comic or first Valiant comic. Uh, I, I think you're gonna love it. There you go. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. You know, you're welcome to come back anytime. Thanks and for uh, yeah. yeah.